It is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand, back at it for another day and a really good show coming up. Randy Johnson from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a minute to talk Gopher football ahead of their game in North Carolina, a big one on Saturday. Randy will be there, Chip Scoggins, my guest on Thursday's show, will be there as well. I will be there. I think I might have mentioned that once or twice. I'm going to be there um, as a spectator um, and uh, checking that one out. First Gopher uh, away game that I've been to in quite some time, but uh, came at a good point in the schedule. Um, Like I said, one of my really good friends lives out there, so a group of us are going out to watch that game to hang out with him for a while. So really looking forward to that game, though, and just the, the test for the Gophers. Randy and I will get into all that entails in just a little bit here. Um, got some twin stuff at the end of the show. Good win for them against Tampa, finally beating Tampa Bay, and kind of a, a marker of how they've done against good teams this season that could be a good omen or at least a decent omen. <laughs> Can an omen be decent? I don't know. Uh, a decent omen going into the postseason, which we presume is still going to happen. There's seven and a half games up now on Cleveland still. The games keep flying by here. That one getting more and more likely that they're going to win the AL Central and head into the postseason, but not sewn up yet, but feeling pretty good about that, I'm sure. Um, first, though, what did I miss? Let's revisit two kind of... Uh, Two kind of tense moments, tense kind of, uh, I don't know, exchanges from Sunday and how they relate to the rest of this week. I want to start with the links because we've covered a lot of Vikings. We're going to talk Vikings with Chip Scoggins tomorrow leading into that big Thursday night game against Philadelphia. Um, and we'll get into kind of how the Vikings adjust and how Kirk Cousins kind of coming off of that game adjusts and some of what happened in that game. I want to start with the Lynx, though, because the Lynx missed a big opportunity over the weekend. They lost to Chicago on Friday, and that was maybe no great sin. Chicago is a decent team. That was a game that they you know, could have won, but Chicago had plenty to play for. They were still trying to get a playoff berth at that point. And uh, you know, so losing to a team that's got a lot to play for, sometimes that is just going to happen. And Chicago did, in fact, make the playoffs at 18 and 22. They are the eighth seed. The Lynx, though, on Sunday played Indiana, a team that had nothing to play for, was already out of the playoffs. Um, their lottery fate was already decided. They lost that game in rather convincing fashion, much to the chagrin of head coach Cheryl Reeve. Final score in that game, 87-72, to and a decisive run finished that off. And the reason that was so important is it cost the Lynx a chance to have a, a better playoff seed. They wound up as the sixth seed out of the eight teams that made the playoffs, but that means they have to play Connecticut now tonight in the first game of the best of three. That's in Connecticut. Um, the next game in Connecticut, if the Lynx managed to win one of those, game three, the decisive game three, would be back at Target Center next Wednesday. But a much tougher matchup than had they won that game against Indiana. They would be the five seed get to play Dallas. Now, the Lynx have beaten Connecticut once in three tries this season, but Connecticut 27-13 and 13 on the season, one of the three very best teams in the WNBA, while Dallas would have been the opponent, a team that the Lynx just beat twice in the last uh, you know few weeks. That would have been the opponent had they gotten the five seed to play in that 5-4 matchup. So Cheryl Reef, head coach, president of basketball operations, was hot after the game. She was upset. She was mad at her team 
for what she perceived was a lack of listening to the game plan. Let's play just kind of the general clip of her talking about that aspect. In the first quarter, we came out and we said, we don't trust you, coaches. We don't trust you. We don't trust that a team wants to be in the paint. Whatever their idea. They didn't trust us against Chicago as a three-point shooting team. So it's rooted in trust. Um, how do you come out in the first quarter and give up 20 points in the paint and then turn around and ask, oh, you want me to help? That You want that to be me? No, it's, it's a complete lack of focus and intentionality. And for us competing for a playoff spot, it's not about learning. That's not about learning. That's about doing what you're told, what your job is, and trust your coaches and do what you're supposed to do. Now, I think sometimes like game planning can be a bit overrated. Talented players play, and you're going to have uh, instances where things just don't go your way. I don't know exactly what happened in this game. I do know the Lynx went 19-21 and 21 this season, and the 19 weren't the games where they listened to Cheryl Reeve, and the 21 weren't the games where they didn't listen to Cheryl Reeve. I'm sure there was a little bit of everything along the way where you know talent takes over, execution takes over things like that but i get this the overall sentiment of frustration was palpable it was you know voice was getting raised a little bit the frustration of losing knowing what was at stake and you could tell why there was frustration how that manifests now though is the big question now it was suggested to cheryl reeve that maybe the link should just kind of forget about that game forget about the loss to chicago just move on to Connecticut. She did not like that idea. There's no such thing as flushing what we did defensively for the last two games. Okay, That's babying them. Flush it. No, you need to sit in it because you had an opportunity to do something special. And twice, twice, we didn't do what we needed to do. So there's no flushing. Sit in it and feel it. Where does this all leave the links going into tonight's playoff opener? That's what I want to know. That's probably what she wants to know. That's probably what players want to know. They still have an opportunity here, right? This season started 0-6. Looked like they were lottery-bound. A lot of people suggesting, including myself, that they might be better off in the lottery with all those players available potentially in the 2024 WNBA draft. Instead, here they are in the playoffs. They missed last year after that really long you know, decade plus postseason streak. They're back this year. Still an opportunity, but they can't be feeling good about the way they enter things. Let's fu- let one final thought from Cheryl Reeve. These were all post game quotes from Sunday. All of these uh, elicited from questions by Kent Youngblood, by the way, Star Tribune writer who does an excellent job and will be covering these playoff games as well. Our level of, of understanding of what it takes to execute to win a possession is nowhere near where it needs to be to be successful in any game in the league, let alone go into the playoffs like you're talking about. We have no clue. The team that we're about to play in playoffs has has a big-time clue. They have a big-time clue. It's what they do. They're a playoff team. It's what they do. We've got to, you know, figure it out or, you know, just go enjoy a trip to Mohegan Sun, I guess. Does this motivate the links? Does it not matter because, you know, Sunday to Wednesday, did players even listen to this? I'm sure they got a version of this message, by the way, um, that was not available to the public and maybe it was even harsher. I don't know. But how do they respond? That is going to be the question I want to see answered Wednesday and throughout the rest of however long this series lasts. 
The Vikings, meanwhile, we know what happened Sunday. They lost 20-17 to to Tampa Bay, a surprising loss. Um, you know, even though they weren't overwhelming favorites, they, I think they were like five-point favorites going into the game. Like we've talked about, one of those games, you you kind of checked, you checked the box of this is probably a win. And when you lose those games, it's frustrating, especially in week one of the NFL season, especially with a short week at Philadelphia coming up right on the heels of it. A chance to start 0-2 now. Um, that's not how you want to be starting a season. That's not what you, what you want to be staring at. One of the big kind of subplots from that game, which I wrote about earlier this week, was Cousins, Kirk Cousins, um, visibly upset at his quarterback's coach on the sideline after his late first half interception where he tried to fit the ball to K.J. Osborne. Osborne had his hands on it. Maybe he could have led him more. Maybe he could have gone to Jordan Addison. That, uh, he got at cousin got cousins got asked about that Tuesday at Vikings Access about the exchange that was caught on camera with him kind of you know reacting pretty pretty strongly. We didn't hear what he said in the moment. We could see how he was reacting in that moment. Here's what he said about that on Tuesday. Yeah, no, just uh, uh, just passion and intensity is kind of the way I play the position, and that'll always happen from time to time after a series. I'm kind of processing it myself a little bit. That's about what you would expect him to say, and I think it's probably pretty accurate, right? That's kind of what I wrote on uh, on Monday or earlier this week was, hey, you know, these things do happen. I, I don't think this is like a sign of any kind of dysfunction. It's a sign of, of Kirk Cousins' frustration and the heat of the moment of wanting that play to be better, whether it was him doing something different, whether it's Osborne coming down without ball, maybe it's play design, maybe it's protection, and everything goes into that, which I'll get to here in a minute. But here is Cousins, too, kind of re-diagnosing a couple days after the fact what he maybe could have done or not done differently on that play. Yeah, just kind of a bang-bang play and, uh, um, you know, worked, to, worked TJ probably a little too long and then uh, felt a void to KJ, but with the safety there, better to just progress to Jordan. Um, tried to stop KJ with the ball and really just should have let him through it and, and let him get let him get blown up by the safety if it meant six points, you know, and I was I was probably trying to protect him too much and uh, and then just get to Jordan and, and we can, you know, get, get half of the yards we need and then play for the next play. Now, also on Tuesday, I got a chance to ask Wes Phillips, offensive coordinator, a couple of questions. Wanted to get get his point of view on that specific play, that interception to Osborne. Here was uh, here was our exchange, my exchange with uh, with offensive coordinator Wes Phillips. Wes, as you look back at the that Kirk throw to KJ Osborne in the goal line, what did you as you kind of look at the film? What did you see in the progressions in terms of what he his thought process and how that play turned out? Well, uh, you know, it's not just an interception where you critique kind of uh, uh, reads, routes, uh, splits, all those types of things. And and certainly when something negative happens, it gets highlighted. But but that is a play that that we expect to be able to make. Um, We didn't make it at that point. You know, without getting too specific into all of reads and those types of things and, and who did what and, and blaming anyone. Uh, but we, we know we can be better there. When it ends negatively like that, do you have to go back to Kirk and say, we still want you to be aggressive in situations like that? Or does he still feel comfortable making throws like that? I think he's played played enough football to understand and, and digest and process kind of what actually happened mm-hmm. uh, and see it, see it the right way to where he knows whether it's a correction from a receiver, whether it's himself, 
whether it was a pressure thing, I couldn't follow through. You know, there's a lot of reasons why balls get intercepted. Uh, unfortunately, it happened in the red zone, which, you know, gets highlighted even a little bit more when, when you're taking points off the board. So, uh, but uh, like I said, we got to protect the football. Uh, I, think, I think we would have had a great opportunity to win that game if we would have done so. Mm-hmm. So here's what I'm watching for this week. Like I said, I'm watching to see if the Vikings – move on from that game, can learn from whatever mistakes they made, but also can, you know, kind of use the, you know, kind of some of the pain of, of losing that game and figure out how to how to maybe pull out a surprising win in Philadelphia where they had a surprising loss to Tampa Bay. Same thing with the Lynx. Can they move past it? How much do you move past? How much do you learn? How much do you forget? How much do you internalize to make yourself better? And how much of this even matters three or four days after the fact? Is it just gone? Is it just on to the next one? because each game is its own entity. I'm going to be watching for that, though, because these are big games for both of these both of these franchises. Lynx, back in the playoffs, an opportunity at Connecticut tonight to jump out in this series and take a series lead. Vikings, a big chance in primetime Thursday to retake the narrative of their season because right now the narrative went quickly from, hey, team that won 13 games last season and has high hopes for this season to, oh, man, could be 0-2 right out of the jump, and then where do you go from there? So I'm watching to see how these narratives evolve from earlier in the week to right now. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. All right, let's bring in Randy Johnson right now. Covers uh, Gopher football for the Star Tribune. Big one on Saturday, Randy, you will of course be there. I'm actually also going out there as a, as a spectator out to North Carolina, but definitely their best non-conference game on the schedule and in a real opportunity to be tested in a lot of ways. I'm sure their defense will be put to the test. North Carolina's offense is awfully good, and we'll see if they can move the ball against a, a you know an elite Power Five school um, that that's ranked right now. Yeah, uh, number twenty, uh, North Carolina. So it's uh, yeah, they're coming off a uh, forty to thirty-four double overtime victory of Appalachian State. They were much more impressive in their opener. They beat South Carolina thirty-one uh, uh, seventeen um, or 31-14. and uh, basically they're um, yeah, it, it's a it's an uptick in uh, in athletes. Uh, it's it, it's like playing probably um you know some of the better teams in the, in the Big 10 West uh maybe maybe not to the level of say of a Michigan or Ohio State but uh you know the very very good challenge for the Gophers is it would be a really good gauge to see where they're at uh, they played uh much better in the second half of uh, their win over Eastern Michigan uh really imposed the running game on uh, on Eastern Michigan with uh, the freshman Darius Taylor running wild especially in the second half with North Carolina, Drake May obviously gets a lot of the headlines, and he's been impressive early in the season. A possible top five pick as a quarterback in in next year's draft. What I mean, from your perspective, what what does he bring to the table, and what do they what do they have to do to try to slow someone like that down? Because he's not the typical quarterback you're probably going to see even the rest of the season, probably. Yeah, he's you know your typical uh, drop back uh, passer, big big guy. 
230. Uh, very accurate uh, and, a, and a really good runner. Uh, last year, he rushed for right around 700 yards and seven touchdowns. He passed for 38 touchdowns last year. Um, you know, this this guy's uh, he's got NFL uh, tagged all over him. Um, they haven't turned to him quite as much in the passing game so far. They've, they've, they've run the ball pretty well. He threw a couple picks in the opener against South Carolina, but uh, he, w- he was pretty efficient against uh, Appalachian State. From the Gophers' standpoint, we've seen them. You know, we saw them against North Carolina. Um, you know, I'm sorry, we saw them against Nebraska. We saw them throw the ball up and down the field and trying to establish that, thinking that was the the way to beat the Huskers. And then, obviously, against Eastern Michigan last week, they, like you said, they they imposed the run a lot more. Um, you know, at some point, I'm imagining they're going to try to find a better balance of the two in the game and not not go, you know, whole whole hog on one versus the other in a game against North Carolina. Though, how do you think that sorts itself out? You know, I I think what uh, PJ Fleck really wanted to do against Eastern Michigan, he wanted to show he wanted the team to show him they can do that. Uh, that run the ball that way because they will need to, to to control the clock and run the ball when they're playing these these higher ranked teams with with very uh, powerful offenses. You know that's that's always going to be a, a, a trade under under uh, PJ Fleck is they do want to run the ball. Now they don't necessarily want to run it seventy five percent of the time like they did, but uh, he he wanted to he, you know he challenges team. He, he a he wanted to identify who's going to be the be the the running back. Um, turns out it's Darius Taylor. Sean Tyler was having a nice first half, but he put the ball on the ground three times, a couple times out of bounds, but still uh, uh, B.J. Fleck counts those as, as fumbles in his mind. Um, so he, he uh, toward the end of the first half, he turned to Darius Taylor, um, who, who got some good tough yards. Uh, then the second half, he he, he got uh, 149 of his 193 yards. So now, and, and what that did too, that with that type of football, it, it kept Minnesota's defense on the sideline. Uh, uh, basically, uh, uh, Eastern Michigan only had 14 plays in the second half and gained wow. only four yards, no yeah. first. Uh, so, yeah, if 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 you if you're not turning it over an offense and, and the, the opposing offense is on the sideline, you got a pretty good chance to win. Did that sort out their running back picture for? for good or just for the time being? Well, I think, you know, it's tough to to anoint the freshman, yeah, a true freshman and early enrollee. It's tough to anoint him as, you know, the one after only one game, but it, it sure looks like he's going to get the bulk of the carries, uh, you know, or at least the, the if it's a one and a one, a he's the, he's the one um, they're, they're not going to, you know, they'll, they'll use uh, Tyler, uh, probably as as a very good compliment. You know, he's he's not as big as Taylor. Taylor's a big, strong kid. Tyler's more of the shifty, get on the edges type yeah. of back who, who can do a little bit out of the backfield with with the uh, receiving wise. So it, it could be a really nice compliment uh, to each other. Can't really remember like the specifics of PJ Fleck and Hill how he's handled you know running back situations probably because Mo was here for so long it was pretty obvious who was the guy so I'm trying to you know stretch my memory and remember how he's either handled committees in the past or handled even like true freshman situations outside of running back is is he the kind of coach where that playing time is reluctantly given or is he said if if you are the guy even if you are young and you're a true freshman I will trust you with that role 
You, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure it depends on the situation too. Uh, you know, you, you don't usually see see like an, uh, a, a true freshman offensive line get a lot of time. Yeah. They got to get bigger. They just have to get bigger, right? I mean, that's yeah, part of yeah. it. And, but they do have one this year that uh, we'll probably see playing in Greg Johnson soon. Uh, but I, yeah, with running backs, I think he saw a good example of it uh, back in 2021. Mo goes out in the first first game. Trey Potts goes out later in the season. Bryce Williams out. He turned to uh, Bucky Irving and Kai Thomas, uh, and you know he, he had to trust. I mean, he was down to that you know that level, but. Uh, what you're seeing is, you know, they have done a good job of recruiting running backs here. Um, with uh, Darius Taylor, he, you know, you look at him. He uh, he was uh, Michigan came after him strong toward the end, but he stayed true to Minnesota. Michigan State too. Also, he's, was, he's from Detroit, right? Yeah, Detroit suburbs area. Yep. Okay, so I mean that. So they were able to hold on to him after that, and so he he must have had a pretty good idea too that he comes here is pretty wide open in terms of playing time competition. So there's an opportunity he could play right away too. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's and that's that's a good. It's a big selling point where you know kids want to play. That's uh, you know no matter what they, what the age they're then they're not always waiting to you know bide their time. As we think about you know college football, the Big Ten in general, we can talk about Colorado a little bit because that's a fascinating story. And they they you know they look every bit the part, and they had a pretty good uh, bit of success against Nebraska after the Gophers struggled a little bit against Nebraska to get that win. But as we kind of see how the how the Big Ten and the Big Ten West is sorting itself out this year? Any any new information or any any you know deviation from what you thought at the beginning of the year, or or are we kind of on the same same thought wave in terms of who the who the teams to beat are right now? Yeah, you know, um, I was what what do I thought they were? You know, they're they're going to play close, tight games with defense and 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 beat you that way. Uh, Wisconsin, a uh, little surprised that they, they not, so, not so much surprised they lost at Washington State, but they, they've given up as many points as they did out there. Um, uh, the one team surprised me the other way a bit is Illinois. They, you know, they got drilled pretty big by uh, by uh, at Kansas, uh, and then that they had uh, struggled uh, early in their in their opener too. Uh, so it's it's um, yeah, something maybe some you know Illinois, especially maybe not quite what I, I thought as good as I thought they were going to be. Uh, I thought they might contend for the title along. Basically, I had them in, in a mix of four with Iowa, Wisconsin, the go them and the Gophers. And they're on the they're on the schedule this year, right? Or are they not? Yeah, yeah, the West, yeah, yeah. So they're yeah, obviously they'd be on the schedule. So I mean, as we kind of think about establishing things, I mean, this is you know, it's obviously not a conference game, but this is a game that. I don't know, the statement game gets overused, but it kind of feels like a, a marker for them right now for the Gophers. They're 2-0, but the Nebraska win was far from convincing. It was more of a kind of the the gutty, kind of pulled it out at the end fashion. And then Eastern Michigan was a game they were expected to win. They were favored by like 20 points. So this does kind of feel like one where they're going to be tested in ways they just haven't been tested yet or shouldn't have been tested yet. Yeah, they'll, they'll 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 face the toughest offensive team they've they've had so far. Then they'll face a defense that's you know it's got a lot a lot of you know power five conference athletes on it. Uh, you know it hasn't maybe hasn't maybe it's bent a little bit more than they'd like there. But uh, yeah, I, I think they're uh, it, it's a very good gauge early season gauge. I, if they can go out there and play a tight game or or win, uh, you know you're looking at okay maybe they have have something going pretty good. It, it's you know, obviously, you got Joe or Joe Rossi defense, and that, that that's showed up so far. Um, yeah, they've given up one touchdown this year. Um, it's you know they're um, you know it, I I I don't think you know they're what basically uh, 
a, a touchdown underdog out there. Um, yeah. it, it's understandable, but I don't think that's the situation where they're going to get blown out by any means. Well, and especially with that defense, like you referenced, and is that, I don't know, the, their secondary seemed awfully good in that Nebraska game, and they didn't maybe get tested quite as much against Eastern Michigan about that. The, their defense has impressed me so far, and I didn't think they would be quite as good as they've been so far. Yeah, they've, they've uh, gotten good play at that other quarterback's uh, spot from Trayvon Jones. So, you know, you get you got a good shutdown guy and Justin Waller there to begin with, and then obviously Tyler Newbin at, at the safety spot. Uh, yeah, the good the good news for the Gophers on defense this week, it, it looks like they're going to get Cody Lindenberg back back from the injury that, that knocked him out of the first two two games. So uh, it, it would be surprising if he doesn't play. It, it, uh, uh, PJ was pretty optimistic yesterday in this press conference. A lot of times it obviously comes down to quarterback, maybe final thought here. I mean, we know all about North Carolina's Drake May. Nathan Calic Manis has, you know, he's had a he's had his moments so far. He didn't have to do a whole lot against Eastern Michigan, but did did a lot of the things he was asked to do pretty well. It's kind of a spotlight game for him too, especially if you consider who's on the other side of the field from him. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, Nathan has been uh he he's been okay this year. He hasn't been yeah. what I call great. You know, he's pretty much his own worst critic, you know. He was not pleased at all with how with how he played uh, against Nebraska, even though, you know, he did, you know, throw it 44 times, but yeah, he, he, he didn't like it. He thought he could be a lot, lot sharper um, against uh, Eastern. He only, they only called on, on him 15 times to pass. So, right. you know, pretty small, small sample size there. Um, you know, he's, so sometimes it seems like he might hurry things a little bit. Um, you know, sometimes he, he, He'll throw a burner in there where maybe you need a little bit, little bit more of a touch, but um, I, it, I think it's just a learning process with him too. You know, really, he hasn't. He's been here a while, but he hasn't started that many games yet. So, seemed like the kind of guy that will relish the opportunity to, you know, go on the road in the non-conference, play a ranked team, and you know, with the other, with what we know about Drake May. I mean, I think every player likes that opportunity, but I'm just thinking of have him specifically, like how will he approach that moment? Do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. Ethan is, he does, he doesn't lack for confidence, but he's not a guy that's, you know, braggadocious, you know, he, he's, yeah. he's pretty, uh, you know, team oriented and everything, but there, you can tell there's, there's a, uh, there's a fire there that when he doesn't play well, he's, he's, he's pretty hard on himself. Okay. Well, it should be a fun game. Should be a fun Weekend, interested to see what the atmosphere out there is like. Their stadium's about the same size as Huntington, I think, like a little over fifty, right? Yeah, yeah, at uh, Keenan Stadium there. I, you know, it's um, it, it kind of reminds me a bit of uh, two years ago when they went out to Colorado and uh, the Gophers fans, you know, pretty much took that place over. I'm, I'm not, I don't think they'll have that many in North Carolina like they did at Colorado, but I think it's going to be be a very good uh, showing for the Gophers fans. It's, it's, uh, you know. They, you just see it. It's it's a new place. They they've never played there. Uh, it's a Power Five program. Um, it's it, it's an area area of the country where Minnesotans might not get to that often. So it, I I just I just really enjoy these non conference games at places where I've never been, where the team hasn't been ever before, or even you know in that conference they don't play ACC schools on the road very often. Just wait, Randy. They'll all be part of one super conference at some point, and then they'll go to North Carolina like once every five years. Oh, there we go. <laughs> we'll I'll see. Take it. All right. Appreciate it, Randy. We'll talk to you again next week and get the report from North Carolina. Maybe our dueling perspectives, press box versus. I think we might be in the uh, in the in the good seat. So hopefully, I'll get a good view of everything. But uh, appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, sounds good. Good stuff from Randy Johnson as usual. I'll be watching uh, Saturday, obviously, because I'll be there. But I'll be watching to see if. 
Ethan Calic Manis, the young Gophers quarterback, has a breakout game. Because I think, like Randy said, he's been okay so far this season, made some mistakes against Nebraska, but made some of those plays at the end that they needed to win that game. Wasn't asked to do a whole lot against um, Eastern Michigan, but this is a game where, you know, this is a step up and step up in competition from either of those games. And he's got, you know, this hot shot on the other side, Drake May, this guy who could be, you know, a top five NFL draft pick. Where does where does Ethan Calicmanis raise his level? Where does he manage the game and not get too overhyped? Um, things like that. So I'll be watching to see how he does that in this game. Let us finish now with the cooler. Some thoughts on the Minnesota Twins. They beat Tampa Bay three to two. A kind of a nice paint by numbers win with a good uh, with a good finish. It was uh, Willie Castro providing the uh, the key offense, a two run home run in the seventh to get them the three two lead. Short start by Joe Ryan, but a relatively effective one. Could be showing you right now the Twins postseason playbook. I, we know the one two in the rotation. I don't think we a hundred percent know the order that they'll choose for Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray. I've said already, I think Lopez should go one, Gray should go two. Not because Lopez has been the flat-out better pitcher this year. Gray has a better ERA, but because Lopez seems like a candidate to go deeper into a game, and that's what I want from my game one starter. You get Gray in game two, and then what do you do in game three? It kind of seems like the formula to me, at least at the moment, would be you start Joe Ryan, who can be pretty good for a couple trips through the order. He kind of stumbled again in this game a little bit when things got deeper into the fourth and fifth inning, still kind of working his way back from that midseason injury. Then you've kind of got an all-hands-on-deck from there. Maybe it includes Louis Varland, who is excellent in his two-plus innings of relief on uh, on Tuesday, helping the Twins in those middle innings, getting them to the finish line of a 3-2 win. Maybe it's Varland. Maybe it's a little bit, of ba- little bit of Bailey Ober. I don't quite know exactly how they piece it together, but that could be a formula. Let Joe Ryan go as long as he's effective, but have a pretty quick hook in a Game 3. That worked for them against the Rays, got them their first win against the Rays this season, which brings me to my final point on the Twins, which is this. If the narrative in past seasons is that they couldn't beat good teams, that hasn't been the case this season. I'm just looking at American League teams right now. The six teams that are above them in the American League standings, including you know the four teams that they could potentially play in in the first round of the playoffs. Um, you know we're talking about obviously not Baltimore or Tampa Bay. One of those teams is going to win the AL Central. The other one is going to be the first, you know, the first wild card. Then there's going to be, you know, a second wild card. And then the third wild card is going to be someone out of probably Toronto, Houston, um, Texas, and Seattle. But of the six teams above them, including those two very good teams in the American League East, the Twins are 18 and 19 this season against those six teams. And again, that's not great, but that's basically 500. One game under 500, a chance to make it exactly 500 today in the finale of the series against the Rays. That tells me that this is a team that can compete with the very best teams in the American League. Maybe they're not dominant against them, but this is a team that goes into the playoffs, you know, which aren't clinched yet, but are getting closer to being clinched by the day, that goes into the playoffs potentially with A, the pitching, B, the kind of home run offense that it's a little feast or famine, but that can win playoff games and see has shown this season that it can play with the very best teams in the American League. So 
Beck should give you a little bit of hope, a little bit of confidence. I know this has been such an up-and-down year. I know it's been a down-and-down postseason for the Twins in the last 20 years with that 18-game postseason losing streak hanging over them. But something to think about as you think about the playoffs. This is a Twins team built a little bit differently and maybe built to win a playoff game. And who knows, maybe a playoff series. And who knows, maybe even more than that. That will do it for me today. Chips Goggins, like I said, Star Tribune columnist, joins me on tomorrow's show to talk Vikings and to talk about the return of his great weekly feature football across Minnesota. Until then, I am Michael Rand. We'll see you again on Thursday. <laughs>